Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. The newspaper... First of all, this is USA Today. They're speaking to the president. They said he should resign because he has resolutely failed and continues to fail the most fundamental test of any president to put his nation's interests first. So that's USA Today calling for the president to resign. This is the Philadelphia Inquirer. The president should resign. He should resign because his repeated reckless deceits have dishonored his presidency beyond repair. Other newspapers who have said the same thing, essentially, not necessarily the literal same words, but have explicitly called for the president to resign. Other newspapers include the Denver Post, the Washington Times, the Orlando Sentinel, the San Antonio Express News, the Anchorage Daily News, the Manchester Union Leader. These are just some of the dailies, right? All over the country, newspapers have called on the president to resign. I'm speaking, of course, of President Clinton. Seriously. All those newspapers called on President Clinton to resign in editorials that they ran in their newspapers, in some cases, front-page editorials. How many newspapers have called on Donald Trump to resign? Zero. Zero. Last night, Joe Biden... He says, you've got to level with the American people, shoot from the shoulder. He's talking about how badly Donald Trump either screwed up or intentionally let or even with genocidal intent. God only knows how we got to this point. There are some indicators that Trump and Kushner were sitting around going, particularly after the April 7th revelations. Oh, it kills black people, brown people, old people. That's not us. See you later, buddy. So in response to that, Joe Biden last night on his uh, town hall meeting on CNN, he pointed to uh, how Robert Redfield is being kicked around by Trump and all this vaccine stuff. And he's, he says very, very straightforward. He said, you've got to level with the American people. You've got to shoot from the shoulder. There's never been a time when they have not been able to step up. He's talking about the American people. If simply they're offered leadership and asked to pitch in. There's never been a time they have not been able to step up. This president should step down. Donald Trump has been impeached. 
All those newspapers that I just read to you, that list of newspapers, those were all published after Bill Clinton was impeached. Donald Trump was impeached. And yet, where are the newspapers calling for his resignation? If you are planning on writing a letter to the editor of your local paper, and generally speaking, it's quite easy. And if you don't subscribe to a local newspaper, you probably should. You know, we need to support our local newspapers. I, re I renewed, in fact, I think we now have two subscriptions to the Oregonian. I bought a digital subscription, but we already had a print subscription, which I think gave me access to the digital part. But what the heck, you know, I, even though it's owned by a conservative New York corporation, it's my local paper. And when you do that, I don't know if being a subscriber helps out or not. It's certainly in some cases you've got paywalls and things like that. But if you're going to write a letter to the editor of your local paper and they're looking for them all the time, they're looking for content, this might be a good topic. To the editorial board, if you even thought about asking Bill Clinton to resign, and you can, you know, step into the Google machine and go back and see if, you know, in, it was 98, 99, whatever the year was of that impeachment, you should be able to see if your local paper did call for him to resign. Say, what's taking you so long? You'll recall a few months ago I was ranting and raving about this book that I'm holding in my dog-eared copy that I'm holding in my hands by Sarah Kedzier. It's titled Hiding in Plain Sight, The Invention of Donald Trump and the Erosion of America. Just some absolutely brilliant reporting. She's also the co-host of the uh, Gaslit Nation podcast and her previous book, The View from Flyover Country. Sarah Kenzier, K-E-N-D-Z-I-O-R.com is her website and her Twitter handle. Sarah, welcome to the program. So glad to have you on. Oh, thank you for having me. You have written a brilliant book here, and the, the parts of it that I found most troubling, frankly, were, you know, had to do with Trump's association with autocrats around the world, and some of the stuff about Jared Kushner was pretty shocking, too. In the light of where we're at right now, which, but you know, is obviously not where we were when you were writing this book, what would you add, or, or you want to provide a baseline for our listeners and viewers of the case that you're making, first of all, that, you know, what is it that Trump is hiding in plain sight? He's hiding 40 years of criminal ties, ties to the Kremlin, ties to other dictatorships around the world, and ambitions for the destruction of the United States. In many ways, his goals are in line with what the Republican Party has been doing since the Reagan era, trying to gut the government, trying to drown it in a bathtub, um, as was infamously claimed. So, you know, some of this is just a, a continuation of pre-existing terrible American policies, but there's also an element of, you know, what I've called a, a transnational crime syndicate of various horrible actors, oligarchs, plutocrats, dictators, mafiosos, uniting in basically a global heist. And you see these repercussions, not just here in the U.S., but also in post-Brexit UK, in Russia, um, in Israel, and around the world. So yeah, uh, we're in a very bad place. And I don't think people think in terms like this. I mean, over on the right, everybody's hysterical about George Soros, and they talk about the, well, the, the QAnon movement now, talking about the international you know, Jewish conspiracy. I mean, they're just right up front about it. They're basically channeling protocols of the elders of Zion. But on the left, or you know, among average Americans, I don't think there's much 
thought or discussion about the possibility that Donald Trump is part of an international criminal syndicate, an international crime syndicate that it has that it literally is hijacking countries. I mean, if you want to get really rich, if you want to become not just a billionaire, but you know, worth hundreds of, you know, or dozens of billions of dollars anyway, don't steal a company, don't build a company, steal a country and turn all the resources of that country over to your small band of, you know, your little merry band of buddies. Can you document that that's exactly what's going on in the United States right now? Yes, that is what's going on. In the book, you know, I lay out the mechanisms that were in place for them to be able to pull this off, because it's not something that they just stumbled into. Into 2016, it's the culmination of a lot of long-term plans, and that's why you see the same people over and over again. You see, you know, Bill Barr returning from his Iran-Contra cover-up. You see Rupert Murdoch um, as a continual actor. You, of course, see Trump, Manafort, Stone. Um, So, yeah, you know, these are kleptocrats uh, in terms of how they govern that That is their main goal, is to exploit the executive branch to enhance their personal wealth. Um, But in terms of, you know, the broader implications of it, you know, in the 21st century, we've entered this era of, um, you know, borderless states and crime can go over those borders. White collar crime can surpass those borders. And so these lines uh, between state corruption and corporate crime and what we would think of as, you know, mafia crime organized crime have really blurred. And so the importance of the nation state is fading. You instead see these alliances of ultra wealthy elites um, banding together to strip nations down, sell them for parts, no regard for the welfare of the people who have to live in these countries, and often, I mean, basically always employing fascist tactics, you know, which we're seeing, I think, most profoundly with the treatment of migrants in these camps in the United States, but also in things like, you know, using the military, uh, you know, threatening to have them fire on civilians if they protest, you know, openly trying to steal and rig an election. You know, these are all classic authoritarian moves. And our institutions are so battered at this point, we're already battered before Trump even took office, that they have not held up to this kind of onslaught. Yeah, 40 years of Reaganism has gutted the middle class. We hit, in 2010, we hit the point where fewer than half of Americans were still in the middle class and provided a, you know, a fertile field for this. Sarah, if you go back and read the debates between Edmund Burke and Thomas Paine in the 1790s, uh, Paine spent two weeks at Burke's house while he was on his way to the French Revolution to get arrested and was so infuriated by what Burke had to say that he wrote an entire book as a rebuttal called The Rights of Man. But the, the essential argument between the two Burke was a wealthy British conservative, and and in fact, so influential that uh, when Russell Kirk wrote The Conservative Mind in 1951, the first chapter is about Burke. He's the foundation of the modern American conservative movement. And Burke f- didn't believe that anybody who was not wealthy should be allowed to vote, number one. But, but secondly, his principal argument was that people are both incompetent, by and large the masses are stupid, and evil, that at our core we're all evil. And therefore, to paraphrase Thomas Hobbes from Leviathan back in 1634, which kind of kicked off the Enlightenment, therefore the iron fist of church and state is necessary to restrain our behavior. And that's the rationale that conservatives have used for 200 years, 240 years, not just here in the United States, but all over the world, for semi-authoritarian or at least somewhat authoritarian governance. That was the kind of rationale that was used by the Reagan administration. Are these guys even trying to make philosophical rationales anymore, or is this just plain old greed? Are they just looting us? 
it's plain old greed. If they're still saying Edward Burke, that's like a massive self-own at this point to go on about how inherently evil and greedy and selfish people are because they are embracing these qualities. The concept of shame is gone. They used to try, you know, to mask themselves with patriotism or family values or, you know, small businesses or whatever they claim their motivation is. That's gone. And I think they see Trump as a kind of battering ram in that way. He's a vehicle for these broader objectives, for these criminal plots that I'm referring to. They're not designed by Trump. They're designed by his backers, both in the United States and abroad. And, you know, that kind of conservatism, you know, the like Alex P. Keaton type, you know, glossed over conservatism. I think that died a long time ago. I, I barely remember it. You know, my introduction to conservatism in the United States was watching Newt Gingrich bulldoze his way through the House and enter this era of hyper-partisanship and, you know, abject lying and cruelty, you know, and then also watching the Democrats put up a very weak response to that. So, yeah, I think we're kind of past that, that two-party politic vision. It's really a battle between, you know, these ultra-rich elites and dark money and forces that control our politics in that way that just disregard the will of the public and, you know, disregard representative democracy to a certain extent. Yeah, even beyond a certain extent. Sarah, we just have 20 seconds, so we're going to hit a hard break. So let me just say, I, I, you have written an absolutely brilliant book, and I strongly recommend to everybody who's listening or watching right now that you pick up a copy of Hiding in Plain Sight, The Invention of Donald Trump and the Erosion of America by Sarah Kenzier. It is brilliant. Sarah, thanks so much for dropping by today and talking with us. Oh, thank you for having me. My pleasure. Anytime, anytime you want to come on, just give me a shout. This is a new study out of the RAND Corporation. Remember the RAND Corporation? You know, back in the 50s and 60s, they were doing all this research on how to, you know, game theory and how to win nuclear wars and, you know, major advisors to the Eisenhower administration. Well, most administrations, I would say, probably up to and including today. There's a lot that RAND has come out with that I disagree with strongly, particularly their neoliberal stuff and their, and their war stuff. But this is pretty shocking. Carter Price and Catherine Edwards are two researchers who work for the RAND Corporation. And what they found, Nick Hanauer actually wrote this piece for Time Magazine. Nick Hanauer has been on this program. He is the co-founder of the uh, Patriotic Billionaires. And Nick Hanauer writes that between basically the beginning of the Reagan Revolution and today, the billionaire class has taken enough money, quote, enough to pay every single working American in the bottom nine deciles, that's the bottom 90% of Americans, an additional $1,144 a month, every month, every year, you know, into infinity, basically. You know, Price and Edwards calculate that the cumulative tab, I'm quoting from Nick Hanauer again, for our four-decade-long experiment in radical inequality had grown to $47 trillion by 2018, it's at the pace of $2.5 trillion a year. $2.5 trillion every single year is being transferred out of the pockets of working people, people who are students, people who are retired, people on disability. $2.5 trillion every year is transferred out of the pockets of the bottom 90% of Americans into the pockets of the top 5% of Americans. $2.5 trillion a year, which means that we hit $50 trillion 
stolen from the middle class this year. 50 friggin' trillion dollars. And where is a lot of it going? Well, the billionaire class is putting up the stock market. It's the gambling casino for rich people. By the way, Donald Trump told Woodward back in February of this year that he knew how deadly the virus was. He knew how easily contagious air transmission it was, but he didn't want to cause a panic. And I was yesterday saying, well, the panic he didn't want to cause was in the stock market. That's what you call a stock market crash. It's called a panic, a Wall Street panic. They've been calling them that since the 1830s. And guess what? Sue Nethercutt, the person who does our newsletter every day, and if you don't get our newsletter, you really should sign up for it. It's just a tremendous thing. It's free. We don't sell our list or anything else. And every day it summarizes the show. It gives you my daily take. And then Sue compiles her daily stack of every article I have talked about. By the way, that last article is from Time Magazine. It's titled, The Top 1% of Americans Have Taken $50 trillion from the Bottom 90% by Nick Hanauer. But anyhow... Sue tweeted this yesterday or emailed it to me. I'm not sure. Maybe both. And this is from Donald Trump on February 26th. This is like a week or two after he told Bob Woodward that he was going to lie to the American people because he didn't want to cause a panic. This is what Trump tweeted. Low ratings, fake news, MSNBC and CNN are doing everything possible to make the coronavirus look as bad as possible, including panicking markets, if possible. A week or two after Trump tells Woodward, I don't want to panic people, therefore I'm going to lie to them. He tweets that CNN and MSNBC, by talking about the coronavirus specifically, are trying to panic the markets. Why is he so upset about this? Because he knows that every president, I think this is true of every election, I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure every president who has presided over a stock market drop of greater than 3 or 4% in the year leading up to the election, has failed to get reelected. Ask Herbert Hoover about that. It's amazing. And then now the clip from Woodward, he's letting this stuff out in drips and drabs to amplify his book Rage, and God bless him. He said that Donald Trump said to Bob Woodward on tape that COVID-19 is a killer that rips you apart. If you're the wrong person, Donald Trump's told Woodward, you don't have a chance. It rips you apart. That was literally the same week that he was tweeting, liberate Michigan. Donald Trump and his billionaire buddies are frankly letting America die. I mean, the billionaires who make their money off fossil fuels have bought off Trump and the Republicans. And keep in mind, you know, Trump has not always held these positions. But, hey, once it got convenient, once this is what was necessary to win a Republican election, this is where he went, right? Oh, yeah, climate change is a high in California, saying, uh, well, you know, cooling is going to be coming. Well, maybe he was talking about winter. Yes, winter will come. But, you know, global, I mean, you know, North America is more than a degree Celsius warmer than it was back 50 years ago. That's real. That's measurable. And it's not going to reverse. But those billionaires who are letting a dozen states in the West burn and letting the Gulf Coast get repeatedly ravaged by global warming-fueled hurricanes, 
I put a lot of this at their feet. I mean, the firefighters in California and Oregon are now identifying the remains of homes where people died by the smell of burnt human flesh. And by the way, they're getting badly burned out. There is no second team to come in and replace these firefighters. The billionaires who make their money screwing American students to the tune of almost $2 trillion in student loans back in 2005 bribed politicians to make it illegal to declare bankruptcy on those loans. Across America, as a result, we have students who now are experiencing depression, despair, and even suicide. The billionaires who own millions of rental properties across the country are actively ignoring both legal requirements and the morality-based requests, depending on the states, to prevent evictions and throwing people out of their homes in the midst of a pandemic. The billionaires who own Fox News and some of our largest radio networks are facilitating lies about climate change and lies about the coronavirus, both of which are killing people, while those billionaires are living in their protected little bubbles. They're also stoking racial violence by repeatedly portraying protesters calling for black equality under the law as terrorists. Massive tax cuts by Reagan, Bush, and Trump have transferred fully $50 trillion since 1980 from the pockets of working people into the money bins and foreign bank accounts of the billionaire class. And as a result, fewer than half of Americans are still in the middle class. The middle class in America used to be over 60%. Now it's below 50%. And what does that produce? Fear and rage. And those two emotions are dominating the American landscape. Using that despair and anger that people are feeling as they watch their lives be wiped out, as they're watching their homes be destroyed, as they're watching their jobs vanish, both to Trump's incompetence on the coronavirus or his malice on the coronavirus, and to Reagan's policies of offshoring jobs. Yes, that started with Reagan. It was Reagan and Bush who negotiated NAFTA. That's where it began. And now they're taking that anger and despair, these people on the right, and using it to foment violence and political instability by trying to scapegoat brown and black people. The QAnon movement on the right says that it's international Jewish bankers like George Soros who are behind it all, stoking anti-Semitism along with their garden variety racism. This all began in the 1980s with the so-called Reagan Revolution when Reagan dropped the top tax rate from 74% to 25% and began this vicious scorched earth campaign to destroy unions all across the country while authoring NAFTA and these other free trade agreements. Reagan even championed the destruction of our public schools. He put Bill, uh, oh, what's Bill's last name? Anyhow, he put the guy in charge of the public schools who was openly opposed to public schools. Bill Bennett, he wrote a little book of virtues, right? And then he got busted for having a gambling addiction. And the modern Republican rejection of science, you know, Reagan pioneered that saying, well, maybe the earth is 6,000 years old. No, there's no such thing as climate change. I mean, he even empowered people like the Christian billionaire Pat Roberts, who argued that the earth is only 6,000 years old. And at the peak of the AIDS crisis, which Reagan refused to acknowledge, Pat Robertson was saying, well, the biggest crisis America faces is homosexuality and feminism. If America is going to recover from this hellscape, the right-wing billionaires and their bought-off politicians have to be outed and have to be voted out of office. 
I mean, it's going to require a massive nationwide awakening and a nonstop multi-year effort. Reaganism needs to be ripped out by the root. His politics of minimizing science, privatizing public schools, defunding social security and social welfare programs, ending support for infrastructure repair and construction, wiping out union jobs and protections for working people, and transferring $50 trillion of Americans' wealth from the working class to the billionaire class must be reversed. Undo the Reagan tax cuts, the Bush tax cuts, and the Trump tax cuts, and you've got enough money to fully fund Medicare for all, the Green New Deal, and basically everything else America needs. Reaganism must be ripped out. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And if it's not, all these situations are just going to get worse and worse and worse. So the question, how do we do it? Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two ends, or enter the code Hartman, the two ends, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. On the line with us is Lisa Graves, the founder and executive director of truenorthresearch.org. Uh, Lisa is one of the great researchers out there. Her Twitter handle is the Lisa Graves, G-R-A-V-E-S, or It's True North. Lisa, welcome back to the program. It's been a while since we've talked. Uh, you wrote this brilliant story. I saw it over at Raw's story. I'm guessing it was elsewhere as well, about how uh, DeJoy basically got into uh, his postmaster job. Tell us about this. Yes, what we discovered in looking through the financial filings, campaign finance filings was that Mr. DeJoy, who was tapped by Trump actually to be the deputy finance chair for the RNC, actually escalated his donations after the post of Postmaster General became open. So once there was an announcement that there was a seat open to become the new Postmaster General, Mr. DeJoy donated more than $600,000 over the span of eight weeks to Donald Trump's campaign and the RNC and the strategy to get this president reelected in this election this fall. In the past, I've talked about how the big prize when you're looking at authoritarian governments, if you look at Russia, if you look at Hungary, if you look at Turkey, if you look at the Philippines, I mean, even left-wing authoritarian governments, if you look at Venezuela, the big prize is all the stuff that the government has that represents potential value or money if it were privatized. And those things get passed out, you know, uh, the oil companies, the utility companies, fill in the blanks, right? All kinds of things. See, uh, we've all seen this in Russia and in these other countries. Gets passed out to the good buddies of the autocrat. And I've been wondering out loud if DeJoy, whose company does part of what the post office does and has contracted with the post office over the years, if he's willing to do all this work and put up with all this crap, because at the end of the day, if Trump gets reelected, he fully expects that Trump is going to privatize the post office, give him first shot at it, and he'll go from being worth a couple hundred million dollars to being worth billions of dollars. Is that some kind of wacky conspiracy theory? Or is there some possibility that DeJoy and possibly other people, the coal lobbyist in charge of the Interior Department, the oil lobbyist in charge, or maybe I've got the backwards in charge of the EPA, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that, that some of these people are looking to massively feather their own nests once the United States fully ceases to be a democracy and becomes a kleptocracy? Well, I have to say, you know, what my testimony and the testimony of others makes clear is that Mr. DeJoy was not on the list of the professional search firm that was looking for a replacement for the Postmaster General. He was put on the list by Mike Duncan, who is one of the main fundraisers for Mitch McConnell to keep Mitch McConnell in power in the U.S. Senate. 
And then he was approved by a shorthanded, inexperienced new board entirely appointed by Donald Trump to be the Board of Governors of the Postal Service. And he became the Postmaster General in June. And as you point out, he has tens of millions of dollars of investments in a competitor and contractor of the Postal Service, a firm that would certainly benefit if more of the Postal Service were parted out or contracted out. And it's quite clear that Mr. DeJoy has said that he, in essence, is going to pursue some of the changes that he initially um, imposed that were stopped this August or, or September, but he's going to continue them, quote, after the election. And in fact, what we're seeing is that he is trying to continue this effort to cut costs or, in essence, possibly outsource more of the Postal Service, part of this longer-term Donald Trump strategy to privatize the Postal Service. And as I wrote about for In the Public Interest, in fact... Charles Koch has spent years, decades, staking efforts to get the Postal Service privatized. And so, as you point out, the big assets of governments are targeted by kleptocrats for control and by corporations that want a piece of the pie. And here you have a situation where the Postal Service handles more than 400 million pieces of mail a day. If you made a penny on each of that, on, on all of that, you would be richer than Jeff Bezos uh, in a matter probably of weeks. Uh, just a penny of it. And so it's an incredibly lucrative um, possibility for uh, someone or someone to get their hands on it. And in fact, this debt that is saddling the Postal Service, this effort to have its future health care benefits paid into a fund for decades in advance, a burden that no other company or agency has, was designed to help privatize the Postal Service to make it more attractive to an IPO or commercialization. And so it is certainly the case that our Postal Service is at grave risk and the wrong man is in charge of the Postal Service and he needs to be fired or should resign. Wow. Can you share with us any of the details of Charles Koch's multi-decade effort to privatize the Post Office? We know that Charles Koch staked the person who founded the modern version of Reason Magazine, Bob Poole, back in the early 1970s. It was Charles Koch. It was Charles Koch's operations that seeded him and also helped uh, to basically give him the foundation, in essence, the Reason Foundation, the, the funding to help that foundation start, which allowed Robert Poole to push for massive privatization of public services. Charles Koch also staked the Libertarian Party, which then began calling for the abolition of the Postal Service. His brother, David, ran on that platform platform in 1980. And then Charles Koch staked uh, Richard Fink in Citizens for a Sound Economy, which is now called Americans for Prosperity, uh, in efforts to uh, push for a privatization commission, which Reagan put Richard Fink on. And Richard Fink, from there, advocated for the uh, privatization of the Postal Service. Then Charles Koch's operation, Citizens for a Sound Economy, which again is now AFP, Americans for Prosperity, took on a guy named James Miller, who also was advocating for privatizing the Postal Service. He'd been the head of the OMB under Reagan and is a guy notorious for approving uh, the regs to try to classify ketchup as a vegetable. So that guy came on board, and he's been the longest-serving board member aiding Charles Cook's political operation. He then got on the Postal Board of Governors during George W. Bush's term, and from there he was the one who helped steer through, with the help of Susan Collins, the effort to saddle the Postal Service with this unprecedented debt to either push it into bankruptcy or make it more attractive for an IPO. But let me just say one more thing, Tom, while I have you, which is the other part of the testimony yesterday that I gave before Congress was that Mr. DeJoy was accused by his own brother of stealing his mail as part of a fraud that his brother alleged that Mr. DeJoy was engaged in to create two bank accounts and investment accounts in his brother's name and instruct the employees who worked for Mr. DeJoy to hide that mail from him for six years. 
We have never had a postmaster general who has been subject to such allegations. Now, Mr. DeJoy denied those allegations, and the case was settled with a secrecy agreement. But it's worth exploring and understanding just what those allegations mean for someone tasked with responsibility for getting our mail delivered on time, including our ballots this fall. The guy in charge of our mail stole his brother's mail so that he could rip off part of his assets? Did, did That's the that allegation right? that was made in court in North Carolina by his brother under oath. Wow. And the, and the decision is sealed. We have no way of knowing how, how this all worked out. That's right. They settled it with a secrecy agreement, and his brother has refused to talk to reporters about, about what happened, other than obviously what was made public in his allegations in the complaint, which was that for six years there were bank statements from Bank One and BB&T and the Genret, the Genret investment firm that were in his brother's names that he never saw and never knew about uh, because, uh, according to his brother, Mr. DeJoy was hiding those mailed bank statements that were mailed in his name. That is absolutely astonishing. Um, you are doing just brilliant research, Lisa Graves. Thank you so much for, for dropping by and for the stuff you're publishing. Uh, TrueNorthResearch.org, you can read all about it. You can tweet Lisa at the Lisa Graves or It's True North. Lisa, thanks so much. It's great talking with you again. Thanks, Tom. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Thank you. Linda in Coconut Creek, Florida. Hey, Linda, what's up? I don't know how your state works, but the state of Florida, there's a cutoff when you can apply for an absentee ballot. Ours was, I believe, August 18th, and the post office sent everybody a postcard with misleading facts on it. And the first fact on it was you can apply for an absentee ballot 15 days before the election and mail it seven days prior to the election. This was put out by the post office. So this right. is what he's doing. And I also heard that there's a couple of governors suing over this. So it's very misleading. People need to call their supervisor of elections and let them know what the heck's going on. And my question to you, not related to this, I know Trump has 182 executive orders out there. My question is, can he get rid of the payroll tax with an executive order? Somebody asked me that. Well, that's what he did. I'm going to call Tom. I mean, the executive order that he passed only applies to federal employees. It it essentially encouraged private employees to stop deducting Social Security taxes from people's paychecks with the caveat that at the end of the year, they're going to have to pay it all back. So, you know, yeah, you'll see a $10 increase in your paycheck right now. But at the end of the year, you're going to owe 500 bucks kind of thing. With federal workers, he just put that into place. He just, you know, he's hitting people in the military with this right now, literally, and other federal workers. And they're going to get a giant bill at the end of the year. And to try to turn this into a campaign thing, he said, and I'm making this up. You could, he tweeted it. He said it in public. He's talked about it in his rallies. He said if he becomes reelected, he's going to permanently end the payroll tax so you won't have to pay it back. And if he does that, then Social Security is broke in three years because you've cut off the flow of money going into it. The majority of Social Security payments that go out every year are funded by taxes coming in every year. So this is nothing more than an all-out attack on Social Security. With regard to the post office, you're absolutely right. There are several states that are suing DeJoy right now. A lot of states are having, they're really scrambling to try to tell people in their states that this mailer that the post office sent out to every single postal customer in the United States is filled with 
stuff that might be accurate in some states, but is not accurate in many other states, and it's causing massive confusion. And given that it came out of Louis DeJoy's office or you know his post office, that should surprise exactly none of us. Thank you for the call. Eileen in Pittsburgh. Hey, Eileen, what's up? I read recently in a local paper that the mail-in ballots, in Pennsylvania anyway, are pre-stamped. Therefore, when you send it back, it's considered bulk rate mail, which is lower priority. And I read that if we put a stamp on it, a regular, it makes it first-class mail, and the odds would be better that it will be delivered in time to be conned. But I'm not sure about it. Would it invalidate that if I put a regular stamp on top of it? or I don't know. It would probably be just the waste of a stamp, although there's probably nothing wrong with that. I'm not a postal expert, but we have had several people over the course of the last few months who actually work at the post office call into this program, and they all said essentially the same thing, which is that, well, there's two pieces to this. The first piece, specifically to your question, on return response or whatever that kind of mail is called, you know, where it's pre-stamped, basically, there is a, a kind of weird little barcode across the bottom of the envelope. That barcode is the thing that the sorting machine reads, assuming that DeJoy hasn't destroyed the sorting machine there in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, the sorting machines. It reads that first, and that barcode tells the machine whether this piece of postage has a stamp on it or not, and whether it needs to go through the stamp process or whatever you call that. You know, where it's it's uh, postmarked, postmark process. So even if it had a stamp on it, it wouldn't know that it had a stamp on it because it would read the barcode on the bottom. So you'd have to like somehow wipe out that barcode like with a felt pen, but that's going to then slow down that piece of mail substantially because it's going to have to be sorted a completely different way. Number one, it probably won't make any difference. Uh, number two, the post office, for as long as the post office has been handling ballots up until this year, the post office, even though states and municipalities, well, states, I guess in this case for voting, states pay third-class rates for ballots. Because the post office is a federal institution, it's owned by the federal government, it's part of the infrastructure of our federal government, and the goal of having federal infrastructure, people say, oh, the post office lost a billion dollars last year. Yeah, well, the Pentagon lost $800 billion last year, $700 billion last year. You know, it's like, how much did the CDC lose last year? The post office is part of public service to the American people. And so as part of that public service, not only do they do franked mail as first-class mail, that's where if a member of Congress simply writes their signature where a stamp should go, it goes through the mail as if it's first-class mail. But also, ballots, even though they pay third-class rates, have always been treated as first-class mail. And in this judge's decision yesterday, this is a nationwide decision. Now, the Republicans may, you know, and DeJoy may appeal this to an appeals court or the Supreme Court, but this decision, this scathing decision against DeJoy, you know, not only telling him that he had to reverse the damage he's done to the post office and, and put back the sorting machines that have already been destroyed, that's going to be a project, but it said that you must once again treat this mail as if it was first class mail. In other words, give it the, the highest priority. So I would say, from everything I know, Eileen, but again, you might want to you know, ask your local mail carrier or even call your local post office and just ask them, how does this work in our town? But from everything that I've heard, basically, you know, the mail has been slowed down because over 600 of these sorting machines have been destroyed and they're not coming back. 
and hopefully the post office will comply with this court order. So you, A, number one, don't need to put a stamp on it because probably that won't matter anyway. And B, you just want to drop it in the mail as quickly as you possibly can. Make sense, Eileen? Yes, it does, Tom. Another thing, though, maybe if we all put a stamp on, it would help fund some of the post office money with the cost of a stamp. Using the stamp doesn't help the post office. Buying the stamp helps the post office. So if it's just a wasted stamp, you might want to buy an extra sheet of stamps this week. You can do it online and then just uh, make a commitment to yourself to send little notes and postcards and things to people. I've got, I've been really impressed. I've got a couple of friends, a letter I got from a friend of mine in Washington, D.C., and he sat down and took the time to write this letter, even drew a little picture in it. He's an old former producer with NPR. Great guy. People, you know, we're writing letters again. You know, I'm, I'm sending notes to people. It's a great way to use the post office, but it's also so, so you can do that. Eileen, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. Thanks for raising a really, really good question. Ronnie in New Berlin, Wisconsin. Hey, Ronnie, what's up? Hi there. I uh, just want to talk about uh, Trump rally in Wisconsin. So you know how he was asked, aren't you afraid of spreading it or getting it? And he said, no, I'm far away from the people. If you look at the pictures of that rally and, and the two that preceded it, in every case, he had some flags behind him, and the flags were, like, moving a lot. And I'm convinced that they set up an airflow, an outdoor airflow, directly above him that just came down and surrounded him with a column of fresh air, that then that was the way that fresh air was introduced into the room, so that he always got the fresh air first, so that there was no possibility that he could get the virus. It's the only thing I can figure out, and the movement of the flags makes perfect sense with that. Back to you. Uh, well, and, and you're, you're getting right where I'm going, except in a different direction. I noticed the footage last night, all of his flags were going straight back because he was facing the wind. So his entire crowd of unmasked masses who adore him, all of their breath was going right towards him. So is it wrong if I hope that maybe he catches a flight, you know, case of, you know? I think it's always I mean, I it's always it's- wrong to wish pain or illness on another person. I think it corrodes our souls. Yes, it would be ironic. Look again at that video, though, Ronnie, and the movement of those flags. And this time, instead of imagining that air is being blown across the crowd at Trump, imagine that there is about a four-foot diameter giant tube about 10 feet above his head that's ducting fresh outdoor air right straight in and pouring it right straight down on his head, and it's spreading out around him. I've got to look at it again. I guess his hair might be a little giveaway, although his hair is probably so lacquered with hairspray that it's hard to tell. But uh, yeah, an outdoor event. Oh, okay. Yeah, he has. I mean, he goes out of his way to say, "I don't care. I'm far away from the crowd. I'm protected." I would be astonished if they let anybody get close enough to breathe on him. But God only knows. He's definitely uh, tempting fate. Carol in Manesson, Pennsylvania. Hey, Carol, what's going on in Pennsylvania? Hi, Tom. I think that if you don't know the difference by now between a Republican and a Democrat, I'd like to quote something from Mark Twain for you. It's the difference between lightning and lightning bug. Okay? (laughs) And that's 100 years old. (laughs) I knew Jefferson Smith would like that if he's listening. He's a Mark Twain fan. But anyway, the reason I called, I'm really upset about what's happening in Pennsylvania right now. We have a really good governor that I worked to get elected, Tom Wolf, Democrat. Mm -hmm. But we also Mm -hmm. have a residue in our state legislature, which is Republican. 
And apparently a federal judge, cheered on by Donald Trump, has rolled back all of our protections against COVID. And also, they are trying to prevent us from getting our mail-in ballots, and mine has not arrived yet, so I'm very worried on several fronts. What do you think? I think they're destroying America, and, I, and it's astonishing to me that so many of these state, local, and, and, and for that matter, federal politicians, you know, uh, Jim Jordan out there calling for people to start going to jail. He actually, specifically, he wants John Bolton to go to jail. How dare he tell the truth about Donald Trump, right? Uh, yeah, yes. right. Uh, and, and, uh. And, well, and, and Bill Barr has actually opened a criminal investigation into John Bolton. This is what dictators do. They use the power of the state to help their friends and punish their enemies. Pardon Roger Stone and punish John Bolton. And that's what's going on. And that's clearly what's going on in Pennsylvania, too, Carol. That is what's going on. But I don't think it's just the resident of the White House who is trying to kill us. I think he's getting help from the Republicans. Because why else would they want to roll back the protections against COVID anywhere, let alone in a large state like Pennsylvania? It doesn't make any sense. It's insane. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm absolutely with you. Carol, thank you for the call. Richard in uh, Pequima, California. Hey, Richard, you're on the air. What's up? I'm a 1960s veteran, uh, U.S. military, honorably discharged. And I gave the oath to uh, protect and defend our Constitution. In 06, Scalia began stating publicly that our Constitution is dead. And he said it for two years. Nobody did anything. Nobody in Washington did anything. And I think the only person who heard him and is taking it seriously is Donald Trump. He breaks treaties. He withholds money from our allies. He dispersed. He got the military to disperse petitioners around the White House. He's just doing all this unconstitutional stuff, and nobody's doing anything. Nothing. Yeah. I think you're taking Scalia out of context, but I agree with you that Donald Trump is breaking the law and breaking the Constitution. I frankly, I would be willing to bet money if I was a betting man that Donald Trump has never read the Constitution. And if he has even given it a cursory glance, he doesn't understand what it means. But more to the point, what Scalia was talking about. He's certainly breaking it. And as regards burying these people, I'll gladly dig graves for any Trump supporter. Gladly. Yeah. Well, I think they should be digging the graves, basically. If they're going to refuse to wear a mask, they should be, you know, digging the graves for their buddies, right? Uh, this, is, this, is, this is just general craziness. Richard, thanks a lot for the call. By the way, just for the point, uh, when Scalia was talking about the Constitution is dead, what he meant was it's not a, quote, living document. That was uh, the living document idea. It uh, goes back to Jefferson saying every generation should basically feel free to amend the Constitution to bring it up to date. Scalia wanted it interpreted as it was originally written. I think he would have been very happy if we went back to having slavery, frankly. Kelly in Forest Knowles, California. Hey, Kelly, what's on your mind? Basically, it's been pretty well established that Trump is an agent of Putin. And Putin himself absolutely hates the United States for what we did to the Soviet Union. And he's really actively trying to recreate that, the Soviet Union. In the meantime, he wants to destroy the United States, just as we destroyed Russia, break it up into pieces. And that'll just create the perfect opportunity for a kleptocracy. And remember that Putin was the first man ever to be estimated to be worth $200 billion long before Bezos. 
when that was essentially done by privatizing the assets and essential services of his government, which, again, is what Trump wants to do. And I think that what he's doing, how he's engaging that, is through psychological warfare. His constant misinformation and his stream of lies really represents a psyop, as they would say in the intelligence community, a psychological warfare operation. I can't disagree with you at all. The one thing, the one piece of nuance I would add to it is that as much as Putin may be pulling Trump's chain, and I think particularly with regard to anything that has to do with Russia, Trump is still uh, hoping to build a Trump Tower in Moscow or maybe even to retire to Russia. God only knows what all. But this goes way beyond Vladimir Putin. Sarah documents this so well in her book. You've got billionaires and authoritarian leaders who, who quickly become billionaires and suck up to billionaires literally all over the world. And they are coordinating their efforts. And, you know, what happened in Hungary, for example, with Viktor Orban, you know, is a great example of this. And Trump is following Orban's playbook, you know, almost step by step. It's really shocking. I I wrote an op-ed about this uh, a while ago that you can easily find with an internet search. So, but, you know, I just add that as a caveat. I, I just don't think that there's like some single singular evil mastermind behind the destruction of the world. You've got a bunch of people who think that, number one, it's in their best interest to c- control everything. Probably most of them have very insecure childhoods like Trump did. And number two, they dislike democracy. They, you know, they just they, they don't think that the democratic system is the way to go. But other than that, I'm, I'm spot on. Kelly, thank you for the call. Corey in Chicago. Hey, Corey, what's up? Using the 12th Amendment. The Democrats can't stop the Republicans from electing Donald Trump by refusing to have a forum. Uh, there are currently 19 controlled Democrat uh, legislators, legislative state, and only 29 Republican, with two being split. Even if those two were to go Republican, they would fail to meet the two-thirds quorum called out in the 12th Amendment. Are you sure that there's a quorum requirement in the, in the 12th Amendment? There is, yes. When it gets sent to the House of Representatives, you know, as previous callers have stated. A quorum for the purpose uh, shall consist of two-thirds of the whole number of senators and a majority of the whole number said to be necessary for the choice. Oh, that's for the, the, uh, the vice presidency, the, the person. Oh, interesting. A quorum for this purpose shall consist of a member or members from two-thirds of the states. A majority of all the states shall be necessary. Oh, yeah, but, but that's that quorum that the 12th Amendment talks about is that there be essentially a quorum of members in the U.S. House of Representatives who are voting what was decided in their individual states, is it not? Well, The person having the greatest number of votes for president shall shall be the president if such number be a majority the whole number of electors appointed and if no person then from the persons having the height well i'll have to dig into it corey thank you another nuance here that i'm gonna have to dig into and research i appreciate the call quick math the less your business spends on operations on multiple systems on delivering your product or service the more margin you have and the more money you keep with higher expenses on materials employees distribution and borrowing everything costs more NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. 
You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give. But what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are, too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Donald Trump says the election's going to go to Congress. Democrats, are you listening? Democratic Party, are you listening? Tom Perez, are you listening? Somebody needs to pay attention. Number one. Number two, Donald Trump has now been accused. What is this? Number 32? Number 29? I've lost count. Another woman says that Donald Trump sexually attacked her. She was 24 years old at the time. It was on September 5th, 1997 at the U.S. Open in Trump's VIP box, and he grabbed her as she came out of the bathroom and shoved his tongue down her throat and had his hands all over her body, her breasts, her butt, you know, et cetera, et cetera. She has just now come out and said, you know, I, I got to tell the world about this. This guy is, is a monster, basically, is what, you know, is what she's arguing. Mark in Perrysburg, Ohio. Hey, Mark, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? I just want to start out by saying that Forty-three percent of the voting population of Germany voted for Hitler. Now, Hitler was crazy, um, and, in, and insanity and power are a very bad mix. But the point is, is that forty-three percent of the voting population voted for him. That is patently irresponsible. It's violently irresponsible. 
And um, right now we have a voting base of 40 percent of the pop of the voting population is voting for Trump, which is likewise violently irresponsible. Trump is demonstrably mentally ill. We've known that for a long time. It's being proven over and over again. But people are have this habit of semi believing it. It's like somebody will say, definitely, this man is mentally ill. And then 10 minutes later, we behave as if he's not mentally ill. We listen to him. He's on the news. He he makes statements that that we perceive to be true. And then later on say, well, that's a lie. And then it's like, well, this quasi information is, is somewhat believed. And we keep going in this cycle that's ridiculous. He is mentally ill. He needs mental health treatment. We need to be focusing on his voting base and be clear about the fact that he's mentally ill and accept responsibility for the fact that we're, that we're supporting this man. Yeah. And we have to figure out a way, I think, to talk to the people who've been brainwashed by things like, uh, you know, the QAnon and stuff like that. It's, it's very troubling, Seth. And I think we're kind of early on, probably too late, but we're early on in the process of realizing how incredibly destructive this is to our country. Seth, thank you for the call. Emil in Salt Lake City, Utah. Am I saying your name right? It's Emil. Emil. Hey, Emil, what's up? The forest fires. I'm a retired smoke jumper, 30 years. Um, wow. This is historical. I mean, 2020 is historical in a, lot of, in a lot of ways, but never in my career have I seen a fire season go this far into, well, into September and October. California's fire season hasn't really even started yet, but never seen these large fires this late in the season. And part of the reason is, the biggest reason, I think, is, one, climate change has stressed the forest. The trees are stressed. They get bug kill and miles and miles and miles of bug kill. And that's what's really driving these fires. And then the weather's driving the fires. This is the first Mm -hmm. year that the Southwest never had a monsoon. They're actually calling it a nonsoon, which really puts them out of the mix for the fire in a lot of Southern California as well. It never happened. And you got the lightning, but no rain. And as far as Trump talking about raking the forest, he's an absolute buffoon. He has no clue. I doubt he's ever stepped foot in a forest. One. Two, the problem with California and a lot of the West is the urban interface. People like to see their trees. They like to see green trees. And you can't really do prescribed fire in that situation because a lot of people don't want to see fire around their house. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's a real tough one. And, and we've got a long way to go in adapting, essentially, to climate change. Spot on. Deborah in Colorado Springs. Hey, Deborah, what's up? Hey, I just wanted to make a comment on, the, on Trump's cognitive test. I haven't mm-hmm. heard much about that lately. But, you know, I mean, what, what sane person would go on national TV and brag about the fact that they can tell a person from an elephant and that they can name well, five things in order? I mean, pretty crazy stuff. Apparently, Deborah, he didn't think that was a dementia test. He thought it was an IQ test. Oh, okay. Well, that brings up my other question is I thought that that type of a test does generate an IQ. Can we find out what his IQ is? Because the IQ of every other president is public record. It is? Yeah. It just happened to come up online one time, and it just just kind of came up, and I went into it. Every single president 
we have we can get there. Well, we've had some presidents. I mean, you know, Bill Clinton was a Rhodes Scholar. Uh, you know, Barack Obama was the top of his class. He was the editor of the Yale Law Review. We've had some very, very smart presidents. Woodrow Olson was a very smart president, although he was a racist crank. But we've had some very smart presidents. But it's easy to say Donald Trump is not that smart. Donald Trump is stupid. Donald Trump is a dupe. But what I'm getting from the Woodward book and what I get from watching Donald Trump lie through his teeth with great facility, particularly to his crowds in Nevada, is that this guy actually might have you know, some considerable intelligence that he has simply sold out in exchange for his narcissistic needs. And of course, we have no idea what his actual IQ is. He would probably just hire somebody to take the test the way he did with his SATs, according to his niece, and probably the way he did with most of his exams while he was in college. And onward from there. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. Take good care of yourself. Stay safe. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.